0: Episode of this week in IPO. We're not live in the couch in my room. We're live from my kitchen this week. Huge update. Um, we have Nancy Riley, who is the executive director of the RBHS Clinical Trials Office, joining us today. Hey, Nancy. Thanks for coming. Hello. Here. Hi, Nancy. Um, so we uh, we wanted to talk to you today um, about the about the trial trailers that are on campus. So can you kind of give, for people that might not know what that is, tell us a little bit about what they are and what they're doing?
1: Sure. So so um, Dr. Jeff Carson, who's the RBHS provost, um, is the principal investigator at Rutgers for the Johnson & Johnson um, COVID-19 vaccine trial. Uh, so the trial is called Ensemble. Um, this is a, a large phase three clinical trial of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. So um, Dr. Carson was approached, I think in the summer um, about Rutgers being a site for that that study. So we were chosen and um, as part of the process and you might've heard of Operation Warp Speed. So this is the uh, federal government's um, initiative to speed the development of a COVID-19 vaccine trial as well as other treatments for COVID-19. So um, part of that effort, um, in as part of that effort, the, um, the government actually offered these trailers to us um, in order to increase our capacity to conduct this trial. So right now uh, we're doing this study. We started um, in early October and um, we um, started enrolling in um, at the two sites in New Brunswick, which are down at the medical school campus um, right, you know, near the hospital. And then um, in about the middle of last month, um, we started seeing participants um, at the site in Piscataway. So, so um, operation, through Operation Warp Speed, uh, the Department of Defense actually came in and with um, the help of um, Shaney Grady from IPO, um, they actually constructed these trailers. You know, it was pretty remarkable how quickly it all happened. You know, it was like overnight, all of a sudden these trailers were kind of plopped down on the parking lot there. But there was a, an awful lot more to it um, than that. And Shaney was uh, really fabulous to work with. She, you know, she's somebody who is really very, very good at what she does, um, you know, with regard to to planning and executing. And there were, you know, an awful lot of details and she really just kind of saw to everything. So, you know, I have tremendous respect for, uh, for your organization and, and the work that you do.
2: That's great. Yeah, I I uh, I know Shani a little bit. We actually went through the same master's program and had a couple of classes together. And I've seen seen what she's capable of doing. She she really is great. Um, but as far as the uh, the trials themselves go, I guess this is kind of like a two part question. But um, when it comes to, to getting participants, like, have you already selected some? And, and if so, you know, how did you go through that process? And um, I guess, is there, is there any sort of traits that you're looking for? Uh, you know, should participants be in good health or are you looking for more at-risk demographics? Um, I guess, could you just relate on that?
1: Sure, sure. So, so first of all, um, so the study um, was originally intended to um, enroll 60,000 participants worldwide. So we set a goal um, to try to recruit 2,000 at Rutgers. So just so you have that perspective, but this is being conducted at um, more than a hundred sites across the world. Um, so we're just, you know, one small part of it. And um, because it's a large phase three trial, the whole idea is, um, is that we take all comers. So, so it's a very, very broad group of people by design, because, you know, when you have, a vaccine that you're you're trying to to market, you really need to make sure that it works across a large group of of the population. So so this particular study enrolls um, from 18 on up. Um, They're looking for, um, in particular, uh, people um, of diverse backgrounds. So diverse in terms of race, ethnicity, diverse in terms of age, and um, diverse in terms of of, um, comorbid health conditions. So it really is all commerce. So when it started, when the study started, it was a bit more restrictive and the first 2000 participants were young people without any any illnesses, any preexisting illnesses. And then it expanded, Um, but now, it's, it's very restrictive because we're almost at the tail end of recruitment. In fact, we may be done recruiting um, as early as the end of next week. So um, so the study currently is only open to um, participants who are non-Caucasian or above the age of 60, because those were the more difficult populations to recruit worldwide.
2: Right, right. Super so, interesting.
3: Yeah, it is. So, so what are the sort of next steps, um, sort of after the data has been collected? How does that how does that function in terms of reporting back to Johnson and Johnson?
1: Sure. So, um, so the the sponsor um, has their own company that they work with um, called Acuvia. That's a contract research organization. So that's the group that's responsible for all of the data management. So you know they have these you know electronic system. So we report the data back to the sponsor <clears throat> through electronic case report form. So so basically the way that a clinical trial works is that we get a protocol. The protocol um, is, you know, a hundred and some odd page document that outlines, you know, the, the scientific rationale for, you know, why the study is being conducted. It provides, you know, the results of earlier phase clinical trials that showed that the vaccine was, you know, at least in a preliminary sense, safe and effective, and then um, sets out the, the research plan for the trial. So that goes through the inclusion-exclusion criteria, um, as well as the, the data that we collect on each of the participants. So, so essentially what we do is we um, bring them in for a screening visit. Um, and assure that they meet the inclusion exclusion criteria, collect, you know, uh, bits about their, you know, what medications are taking, um, take their vital signs um, and collect blood samples on them and then they're randomized. So it's a double-blind placebo controlled study so that's done through this electronic system. A coordinator keys the information in, and then the computer randomly assigns them to receive either the actual vaccine or um, a placebo. And the placebo is um, basically normal saline. So it's double-blind, which means that our participants have no idea what they what they got, and we don't have any idea what they got. So, so the, on the very first visit, the participant is vaccinated either with the actual vaccine or the placebo and then we bring them back in at um, five time points over the first year. And then, um, <clears throat> and then the study actually goes on for two years. So each participant is involved for two years, um, but the second year is just, we keep in touch with them through an electronic diary. So, so they're, the participant has to download this, um, this app on their phone and then that's how they report their, any symptoms that they're having. So the most important thing um, <clears throat> that we can collect from them is, you know, in the very early stages, did they have any side effects related to the vaccine? And you know, most people have something, um, you know, either a sore arm or you know some fatigue, sometimes chills, but typically mild. Um, but then we're also very, very interested in finding, um, in following them for the development of COVID. So that's that's how you prove, obviously, that that the that the vaccine is effective. Is you know, in the end, we're going to compare the rates of of COVID among people who received placebo versus people who received actual vaccine.
3: No, that's great. Thank you. Did that, answer
1: that answer the question. Absolutely,
0: Absolutely did. Yeah.
3: Okay.
1: <laughs> so, I, I
0: was wondering too if if you could tell us a little bit about your your history and your career working in, in clinical trials in, in general?
1: Sure. So, um, I've been working in clinical trials for a long time, um, since about 1995. So most of my career has been spent in actually, um, HIV clinical trials. So I started working, um, as an HIV clinical research nurse, you know, a long time ago, you know, back, um, before we had any effective treatment, actually, and um, it—and actually, I lied. It was um, actually 1992 that I started. <laughs> I think I'm dating myself, but—and um, that was, you know, many years before actually even AZT came out. Um, so, as you can imagine, it wasn't very fun um, as a profession in the early days of that. But it got significantly more fun um, to do when uh, when good drugs were available and you know our patients started surviving. So I think, you know, the result was that was sort of what hooked me on clinical research, is sort of, you know, understanding the promise that um, that medical science brings to people and seeing that in a very, very real way. You know, because back in those days, you know, our patients just they just died, you know, no matter what we did. You know, and some some Die quickly. Some it took a long time, but you know, there was a lot of death back then. And you know, when when um, protease inhibitors became available, it just was you know a total game changer. So, so that that's what hooked me um, on this field, and uh, so I kind of stuck with it for a long time, and then. Um, And then transitioned about um, eight years ago to to being the director for the Office of Clinical Research um, at New Jersey Medical School. And then in uh, February, um, Dr. Panateri, who's um, our vice chancellor for clinical and translational medicine, um, his vision was to create kind of a centralized Rutgers clinical trials office. So I took the position as the director for that office back in February. And then and then COVID happened. What, time, so, what timing? Timing. <laughs> yes, yes. So um, a lot of the a lot of the plans that we had for really building this office kind of got shelved, sort of. And then you know, and then it was all COVID all the time, really since March.
0: Wow. Um, I guess one thing I was wondering as, as you were, as you were saying that is how, how does like this particular trial or this particular experience compare to the other ones throughout your career, just in terms of scope, are they even comparable or is it?
1: This is like everything on steroids. It's um, it's, I've never worked on a trial and on trials that were so intense, you know, it, it Ordinarily, you'd have you know months and months, or even years, to plan out a big study. You know, you'd have ordinarily you'd have time to hire people and train staff and and plan it out. But but this is just boom. You know, everything um, just got thrown at us. You know, really quickly, and and we really had to work hard. People have worked so hard. You you cannot imagine the hours that you know the physicians that we work with you know all the the study coordinators the data managers i mean how hard everybody has worked it's it's pretty remarkable
2: yeah i so this this is a little bit into the weeds and perhaps i'm a little naive on how this stuff works to begin with but you mentioned that you you sort of track how what the the rate is of people who contract covid Mm -hmm. when they get the actual vaccine versus those who get the placebo and i guess what what it made me wonder is how how do external factors sort of play a role in that right so if somebody gets the the vaccine um and then goes out to a party with no social distancing and uh or or even if they've got the placebo like how do you track or account for external factors when you when you look at contraction rates after somebody's been vaccinated
1: so i guess the answer to that is you really don't so that yeah. because this is a, a phase three study it's sort of like i said before all comers so i think you're just going to assume that you know some people are going to take risks others are not and that's you know that's sort of a real world thing so that's I think the whole point of a large phase three study is sort of it mirrors real world.
2: Right, right. Yeah, I, I know that wasn't wasn't one of our proposed questions, but it, it just got me wondering. You know, like what what you can and can't really account for, and how much harder that has to make it just just to begin with. So.
1: Yeah. So so our job is really just to re- report the data.
3: Right. Mm-hmm. Right. I. I get from a lot of people that there's this, there's this sort of perception that there's a race to market for, for vaccines, which obviously, you know, there's, a, there's an urgent need for one. Um, but how do, what do you say to people who, because my understanding is the same procedures are taking place, they're just being uh, sort of expedited. It's not like, for example, it's a phase three trial. Some people might think that, um, you know, these trials aren't even happening or they're happening on a different scale than they would normally. What do you say to people who sort of have that misconception?
1: That I, I understand it, but, um, you know, I personally have a lot of, a lot of trust in the process. Um, you know, I see what the steps that are taken. Everything is moving very quickly. Very fast, but corners are not being cut because you just simply cannot cut corners in this field. There are too many checks and balances. And um, I think, you know, in, in the news this week, you know, they talked about how um, the Pfizer vaccine was just approved in the UK. And so there were these questions well, how did the UK approve it? And, and you know, that's an American company and we don't have it approved here. And the reason for that is really because our Food and Drug Administration goes through the data. You know, they don't just rely on, on what the drug company presents to them. They actually look at the raw data. You know, they go through a tremendous amount of, of effort to make sure that that the data that's been provided in support of this application is is accurate, and you know that no corners were cut. So. You know, I personally have a lot of faith in in the process.
3: Oh, thank you for that, Nancy.
0: Um, yeah, well, thank you for coming on, Nancy. That was that was really interesting. I think I think a lot of people are gonna find uh, are gonna find all that information really interesting and uh and useful. So, um, thanks for coming on. If there if there's any last word that you'd like to say, we'll uh we'll give you the floor.
1: Well, thank you for having me, and um, you know, I appreciate. I, I love talking about this stuff, so it was it was fun to uh, to meet you all and to talk about you know something that I'm passionate about, you know. And I guess maybe just to close, I just want to um, say how I guess this experience has really given me tremendous respect for you know our colleagues at Rutgers. You know, Rutgers has been incredibly supportive of this project from the very beginning you know, not just, um, you know, our leadership at at RBHS with our, you know, our chancellor and and everybody has just paved the way for this to happen. So it's really been, you know, a very, very successful study here. So we've, um, we've enrolled over, over 500 people, um, which is, I believe it's the largest clinical trial that we've ever done. It could be proven wrong on that, but I think it's, it's the biggest one that I'm aware of um, that's been conducted at Rutgers. Um, and, you know, everybody has just been incredibly supportive. So, you know, even though COVID has been awful for all of us, um, it's, it's really taught us a lot about how strong we are as an institution, and it, it's been incredibly gratifying. And also, you know, thanks again to uh, to IPO and the support that they've um, shown us with the trailers, because the trailers really are um, doing exactly as we intended, as we intended them to do, which is really dramatically expanding our capability to um, enroll participants on the study. So, thanks to IPO.
0: Thank you. Nancy. Thank you. Thank you. All
1: right.